this in the story of us is about the space in the room to be messy with each other out of a larger commitment to get better, out of a real commitment to get good. Welcome to The Future We Want, a podcast for rebellious leaders ready to get to work, do the work, and create the future we want. I'm Rafael Bemperat, founding partner of BBMG, a branding and social impact agency that works with leaders that won't wait on things that can't wait. On today's episode, I speak with my dear friend, mentor, and colleague, Ra Goddess, a visionary artist, activist, and social entrepreneur. Ra Goddess is the founder and CEO of Move the Crowd. You will not be Michael Jordan on the bench. It is impossible. You must get on the court. Welcome to the Future We Want podcast with Ra Goddess, episode one, part one, The Reckoning. Hello, Ra Goddess. <laughs> Hello, Raphael. <laughs> it is, uh, it's really a joy to see you and a, an honor to be together. One of the inspirations of the premise of a podcast that I am doing and that's part of our work at BBMG was a passage from an author named Charles Eisenstein. Mm. In this passage, he says, we are living in the space between stories. And it's where we are recognizing and reckoning, reckoning with stories that no longer serve us. And we are facing them. And yet the new story is just emerging. And he calls it a tender story that is just starting to emerge. And I felt what a important context to step back and ask the people who have been most meaningful in my own life um, for a sense of where you are now, what shaped how you're arriving in this moment, really understanding the work to do and the future we might all want to be part of. Uh, and, and so this was just in service of, I think, frankly, uh, my own reflections and growth and commitments and also what we might do together at BBMG and what we might all do, anyone who hears us um, through the work. So that's the impulse. And and so obviously when this was in mind, immediately I thought of Ra Goddess. And uh, so thank you, Ra, for your time today. My joy, my joy. You write in the book, Ra, Every empowered citizen has to grapple with this dilemma of confronting the challenges of the world as we consider what it means to be awake and aware. Um, and when you make a choice to be present, to be aware, to do good and pursue your calling, you're saying yes to meeting your moment. And every, you said in, I was listening at the time to your audiobook. So every person hearing this, I assure you, your moment is now. And as the pandemic evolves into a racial justice reckoning and protest movement, perhaps like we've never seen before, um, how do you describe the moment we're in and the call moving from self to relationship? Yeah. How, how do you see this urgency of this moment 
Yeah, this this is, you know, so we go from the fabric of ourselves to the fabric of our society, right? And just like there are holes in the fabric of ourself, there are holes in the fabric of our society. And I love Charles Eisenstein's reference to, you know, the space in between the stories, right? Because I think that this is the story of us and our willingness to be present maybe in a way like never before. And, and this is the genius of the way that the forces that are bigger than us work. Because if we had not been in a slowed state, perhaps we would have missed the moment, right? That the, that the reckoning is calling for. So there's a divine orchestration and a very poignant and powerful and tragic beauty to the way in which we are being woken up right now. But this is the story of us. And we are going to decide what we want to contribute to that narrative. And we will decide, will it be a horror movie? Right? Ked Ma'og, shout out Ked Ma'og would say, it's going to be a horror movie? Is it going to be a love story? Is it going to be a tragedy? Is it going to be a drama? Like we will get to decide through how we show up in this moment. And I believe that what is at the center of the story of us is the invitation to come home to our humanity and to recognize the degree to which we have been separated from ourselves, from each other, from the, the ground, the very earth and the planet that inhabits us, from our source, whatever it is that we are sourced by, the degree to which we have gone so far adrift from. This idea of let the current carry you is really the invitation to surrender, which is something, Raphael, that we do not like to do. Let's just talk about it. You know, we are in, as I said to you, a moment of sustained discomfort, meeting prolonged uncertainty, and no like a, <laughs> no, it's what my little three-year-old say. Little she said, no, like a <laughs> right. We 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 don't want any part of this. And yet with love, I feel like we are being held in such an energy of deep, compassionate love. We are being held like children and invited to take the medicine, right? Which supports the awakening so that we can ask ourselves in what way do we want to contribute to this new chapter in the story of us. The story of us, Ra, is many, many layers. Now, it, and this is my friend Kristen Grimm who helped to think about it this way, but it's the story of what was, it's the story of what is, and it's the story of what can and will be. That invites us not only to be in response to today or to now, but to be in deep awareness and communion with generations and centuries and millennia past, yeah. present in our moment in the current state, and then to be co-constructing the story of us to come. Yeah. 
And in those three layers of the story that was the story that is the story that will or can and will be, um, part of the sacred pause that you're describing is it's a moment that requires us to look inward. And you write about this in the book, take stock of the influences in our lives and the inheritance of both wisdom that shaped us and inspired us, but also the challenges and the struggles that shaped us um, so that we can fully be present in our calling, in our creativity, across our personal relationships, our work, and in the world. And in this inheritance in particular, I'm really curious from your own life, um, tell me about the people or experiences that most shaped who you are in the world, the wisdom, the inspiration, the lessons, and in particular, what you're holding close right now. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I feel like there have been so many things that have shaped me from the legacy of chattel slavery in this country, right? And I, my spiritual lineage to Harriet Tubman, <laughs> right? She's a, she is an ancestor for me. Maya Angelou, an ancestor for me. Audre Lorde, an ancestor for me. You know, so I, I recognize that and, and the way that that has moved through my parents who were born in the 1920s and survived two decades of Jim Crow segregation in this country and, and the way that they shaped and molded me through their own activism. You know, I, I jokingly also say, you know, I kind of was born into the intersection of civil rights and hip hop. Like that's my, you know, that's my ground. You know, you've heard me say this before, I feel that's my ground. Um, so what has shaped me has been deep devotion to something bigger, always operating, whatever we call it, God, spirit, love, creativity, don't really care about the name, but the energy this larger wisdom, this larger infinite wisdom that is always moving all around us, shaped me. Shoulders of all those I've named and those I haven't named, those whose names I don't even know who put their hand in to support the reality that I get to enjoy every day as a human being, right? In this context, right? In this world and, and in this country. And then the legacies of work that I feel like I get to put my hand to of people who've come before me, Dr. Wayne Dyer, you know, Shakti Gawain, Louise Hay, you know, again, I can name so many, so many souls who, whose work I've had the privilege to sit inside of, who've helped me make sense of the world in another way. And all of those things have converged, you know, in me, my, my love for music, my love for art, for creative expression, my love for people, and my commitment and dedication to liberation. All the things that are in there. <laughs> and if we could just take a moment to sit with the role your father played in your life. You've, you've written that he is, has been your reason for being. Uh, that he taught you by his example what it means to be loving, loyal, dedicated, and true. Yeah. Uh, and I'm just curious, you know, as you're meeting each day mm. right now, particularly now, what kind of 
dialogue you have with your father, what presence he has inside, mm-hmm. how you're showing up right now. Yeah. Um, always present, always mm-hmm. present. And um, in awe, you know, it's so interesting because I remember when uh, Barack Obama got elected and he was my first phone call. You know, we were, he was home and, <laughs> and I was with friends and, you know, and he, you know, his first words to me was, oh, did you see it? You know, and he said, I never, ever thought I would live to see it. And so just the thinking of like, what would he say as he was observing this moment? What would he say as he was seeing these times? And the energy that I so feel when I tap into him and, uh, and invite him to guide is this very steady hand. Father had a very kind of steady way about him that I think has been part of my inheritance with, you know, the calm in the midst of chaos. Um, and there was just always a way, even as a little kid, I remember when times really, really hard, he would sigh and he would look up and then he would go, well, and he would slap his knee and he would get up and he would handle his business. <laughs> and I feel that energy, you know, moving through that every day, you know, we are living in a, in a time where time is no longer linear. Can I say that, you all? It's no longer linear. We are living in, I don't know, Naomi Klein called it dog years in the shock doctrine, right? But we're living in this way where every day feels like its own year. And the responsibility of every day to be in the sacred practices. And so um, I am absolutely holding him close, holding that close, and the willingness to take each day as its own adventure. This is a time of great work and not the same kind of busy running around that I think many of us have been conditioned and dare I say addicted to, but this is a different type of work. You know, this is the work of the soul. This is the work of the self. This is the work of the source. This is the work of the world, you know, and, and what runs through it is this, is this story of us is the story of us. Let's, let's talk about the work. <laughs> and if you'll, if you'll, I guess, um, give me permission, I would like to read a passage uh, from the book. It's, it's a long passage, but it's really beautiful. And it's, it's getting to the heart of the conversation. In the book, you write, through either our action or inaction, we make choices about where we stand. No matter what you say, there are really only two routes to go, via love or via fear. And within each of these debates, you can either play full out or run for the hills. It takes a lot of courage and patience to attempt to understand what's going on in the world. And most people will tell you they don't have the bandwidth or inclination to figure it out. The urge to resort to binding behaviors, complaining, blaming, judging, justifying, or avoiding are so overwhelming here that you can cut it with a knife. 
This work, you wrote, is not for the faint of heart, but it is necessary. Which brings us, you write, to the million-dollar question. Will you be part of the solution or the part of the problem? What will it be, love or fear? Mm-hmm. And so I'd love to hear from you, Ra. What is the internal work that needs to be done now? What is the collective work that we must do now? And how do you see the choice of love or fear informing how we meet this moment? Yeah. Oh, it is It is everything. Because it will determine whether we get a world worthy of leaving our children or not. It will determine whether we make it or not. You know, I know we are so concerned about the planet, but I honestly believe the planet will wipe the slate clean of us and start over. It is that magnificent. It is that all-knowing. You know, I keep coming back to the work is is us, and, and us begins with you and you. And it is, you know, we've talked about this before. It is the hard looking. It is the courageous facing of oneself that is really the strongest call into this moment. You know, so in the coming home, in the getting the house in order, in the realigning our energy with the truth, whatever the truth is for us, like therein lies the work. And it shows itself in the quality of our interactions. And it shows itself in the quality of our state of being. This is a very emotional time. And for people who don't do emotions, you know, I know, those of you who are listening to me, you don't do emotions. I know you are having, it is holy hell up in there right now. And part of the work of rehumanization is being willing to allow ourselves to feel all the feels because there is vital information contained in what we are feeling and the degree to which we lean into it or the degree to which we run from it, we will ultimately determine the degree to which we get the kind of world that we believe is really worthy of those we love and those we care for and those we care about. So the individual work, sitting, feeling, listening, observing, deep self-observance right now. It's also the work of patience, compassion, space, room, a lot of temptation to want to react, want to respond, you know, and I'm talking to many of my leaders out here who are listening. You want to check all the boxes. You want to fix it. You want to, you know, tie it in a bow. We're not, this is not what this is. The work is being willing to stand in the middle of the mess and for all of us to own our part in it and then to inquire with patience and compassion into what is required to clean it up and recognize that it may mean that the house gets even more messy before it gets neat again and that we need to be okay with that. We need to be okay with the dismantling. We need to be okay with the falling away. We need to be okay with the deconstruction before we start to run to build again. Right? 
I think that's a perfect invitation, the work of you and you, to reflect together on your open letter to my beloved white male allies that you wrote in early in early June. You wrote the letter, and I'm I'm just going to reference it if that's okay. Um, but 48 hours after Minneapolis went up in flames, 12 hours after it was announced that Derek Chauvin, the police officer in Minneapolis, would stand trial five long days after his knee found the neck of George Floyd, 23 days after Gregory and Travis McMichael were finally called to answer for the cold-blooded murder of Ahmaud Arbery, and just six days after Manhattanite Amy Cooper aimed her fully loaded cell phone at Christian Cooper in the serenity of the ramble at Central Park. And I would like to share more of the letter if that's okay. And as I as I read it, and it was a great gift, Ra, thank you. The letter captured so many emotions, love, rage, hope, struggle, and perhaps above all, urgency. And the work to do is frankly for, by, and among white America, by me. And if I could, I'll read a passage with your permission and with gratitude, and then maybe we can talk about it. Mm -hmm. You tell me with your eyes and your words and your genuine heartfelt admiration how you really feel. And in those private moments, I cherish our closeness. And I know that our love is true, but I also know that those moments are fleeting because you will wake up tomorrow and don that suit or those jeans or that hoodie again, put that mask firmly back in place and venture out into the world and get yours. So I don't talk to you, not really, not about this not in a way that represents true liberation and freedom, because I fear that you cannot hold it, cannot hold me beyond your own shame, anger, guilt, apathy, and resignation to fully understand the way that this touches every facet of my earthly existence. Today, that ends. Today, I'm asking you to be brave. Today, I'm asking you to break free. Today, I'm asking you to claim your rightful role in shaping a world where all of us get the privilege to be in the truth of who we really are. In this act of love that is this letter, Ra, I, a number of things became clearer for me. One, which is something that I've known intellectually but I, thanks to your words and your invitation and the courage and ferocity to hold a mirror, loving but accountable mirror, mm -hmm. was that we are bound to each other. And any fantasy of my sense of my own freedom or liberation could not be more deeply connected to your freedom and liberation. And... What I've recognized in myself since you wrote the letter is the degree to which I have chosen blindness. 
those of us who are New Yorkers know what it feels like to like walk through the day and go through the streets and you kind of put blinders on to get from here to there, to get where you are going. And you walk by all kinds of things and you just keep those blinders on because you got to do what you got to do. You got your thing. And I recognize that's how I have been living. And that as a consequence of those blinders that I have chosen, they become my own prison. And so for those of us who are listening who are white, a metaphor that comes forth for me is thinking about the Second World War or any context like that, where you ask yourself if you were in Europe in 1941 or 1942, and millions of human beings are being put on trains and sent to ovens, whether they be Jewish or they be uh, gypsies or whether they be homosexuals, the dehumanization for the war machine, the economic machine. And so I, we often have this thought experiment. If I were there, how would I show up? What would I be? And I think I've made comfort, and now I'm ashamed to say this, I've made comfort with the belief that in that context, I would be a conscientious objector. And what your letter helped me understand in the moment we're in is bringing forth is that that simply is not enough. You have to be part of the resistance. My heroes were part of the resistance. They put it in the game. It was uncomfortable at the least. It was risk and it was existential. And... I think that's what we're called to reflect upon. Certainly, I can only speak for myself, but I've made a very comfortable place as a conscientious objector. But that's simply no longer, and it never has been enough. You have to be part of the resistance, or as you write at the end of your letter, what's the world your children will inherit? Because that's the choice you're making right now. Yeah, yeah. And I want to... I want to thank you, first of all, for, for reading it, for taking it in, in the way that I know that you took it in. And part of my, my work in this work, in this moment, is to say that too many good people are hiding. And I'm very intentional about the language I'm using, hiding. And what we call comfortable is numb. I want to make a very clear distinction. I talk about this in the book as well. I say the trouble with being numb, because a lot of us don't know that we're numb. We actually think that we're fully activated. We actually believe that we're fully present, but we're numb. And this awakening, the courage to be willing to awaken to where you really are versus where you think you are, is also part of the work. And that's for us individually, and that's for us collectively. This way in which we have not invited white men to stand in their truth is problematic. 
it's problematic. And, and I will say, Raphael, in all of the years of doing the work and all of the frontiers of relationship and all of the ways that we've moved, I have never been more present to the unapologetic hiding of white men than I was when I wrote that letter. And, you know, in a more quote unquote logical state, <laughs> one can argue whether or not that's my work or not my work. <laughs> and I would probably be right there with you, but God had other plans and has other plans for me. And when we look at the frontiers of activation, too many of y'all are on the bench and it's time to get on the court. And it is about risking, but it's about, it's not, you know, people think it's about risking money or it's about risking, you know, because there's so much fear and we want to recognize how much fear there is and how much fear holds our resistance to love in place. We're not clear about what we'll gain yet. You want me to talk a little bit about why we have to continue to lean in? Because we'll go back to sleep. That potential to go back to sleep is real. And that is because we don't understand yet what there is to gain in awakening. We don't understand yet what there is to gain in risking. Because for many of us, we have not had the experience of full embodiment. We've not had the experience of true aliveness. You know, and for those of us who've had it, it's been fleeting. Do you know what I mean? It's that moment you're and you're going down a hill on your bike, <laughs> right? And you're riding next to your brother, your kid brother, and your wind, you know, the wind is in your hair. And you know what I'm saying? And you're not thinking about anything else, but the joy and the freedom it is to be alive. And we have been robbed of that at gunpoint, dare I say. And so... For me, y'all are the next frontier with love, with compassion, with accountability. And I'm talking to all of my white males who are listening to this and for anyone else who this is resonating with, because I think every single one of us has a piece in this. We've got to get on the court. We've got to get on the court and as people of color, we've got to allow you to stumble and fall and mess up. And you've got to allow us <laughs> to say, ouch, when we need to say, ouch, because that is our foot you're stepping on, right? It is our arm, our leg, right? So this in the story of us is about the space in the room to be messy with each other out of a larger commitment to get better out of a real commitment to get good. You will not be Michael Jordan on the bench. It is impossible. You must get on the court. And there has to be a rigor in that commitment because this is life work. This is not a moment. We're not gonna fix this in five minutes. This is now a new commitment to a way of living and working and being in the world and operating in the world. In to conclude our conversation in thinking about the story of us as we look ahead in the work and for the world that we hope for and that we have to make by connecting 
the tongue in our mouth with the tongue in our shoe as you write about it right tongue on. Tongue in our shoe. Um, <laughs> I'm curious if you could, for us, in the story of us, paint a picture of the future where every human being can see themselves in it. What would you hope people a few generations from now might look back and say about this moment and how we met it? That they would see us with pride and awe and deep love and compassion in their eyes, that they would recognize all of what we are risking with the uncertainty of how it's all gonna turn out, that they would know that our investment was made on their behalf and that they would walk with that assurance. They would walk with that confidence and they would walk with that conviction that their humanized world would be a place where all can thrive and prosper, would be a place where all can freely express and be, and be honored and revered for the beauty and the magnificence that they are. And that we, that we were willing to do the heavy lifting towards that future on behalf of what we may or may not ever live to see, that we had a trust and a faith that they would get to reap the benefits of our labor, just as we have had the opportunity to reap the benefits of the labor of all of the generations and all of the souls known and unknown to us who have come before us. And so, you know, the future is bright. If we say it is, the future is grand. If we're willing to make it so, it's our world and it's our watch. And the time is now. The moment is now. Amen. Thank you, Ra. My joy. Thanks so much for listening to The Future We Want from BBMG. We've been speaking with Ra Goddess, the founder and CEO of Move the Crowd and author of the book, The Calling, Three Fundamental Shifts to Stay True, Get Paid, and Do Good. In part two with Ra Goddess, we go deeper into the conversation about racial justice, equity, and power. If you enjoyed this episode, we hope you'll subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And check out the podcast episode details or visit bbmg.com for links to additional resources and recommended reading from Ra and from our team. The Future We Want is produced by Liz Courtney. Original music and audio production is by Go Destroy Art. See you in the future.